I'm not at a loss. I just in a hesitation. Amen. to stand be seated in heavenly places amen there are hospitals psychiatric wards drug rehab centers full of people trying to find you have found can I tell you I hear people say well the world's not doesn't really want church no the world doesn't really want religion they're tired of they just have one simple question and that is is what you're offering real They've been had it enough fake stuff, fake promises, false ideas, unrealistic solutions. All they really want to know is this Jesus that you're talking about, is he real? How many of you glad you can say, I know? It's real. I know it's real. Amen. I know you've been standing for a while. I apologize. I'm just letting you know I know. Amen. But I do appreciate the privilege. Amen. Brother Cook, Sister Cook, thank you so much. Amen. This church is blessed with incredible leadership. Amen. And uh, I know you know that. I don't have to tell you something you don't already know, but you are blessed, church. Amen. And I assume you know that even though October is set aside as pastor appreciation, Every day should be pastor appreciation. I would tell you the second or third to the Holy Ghost. I don't want to be, I haven't thought this out, so I want to be careful in saying it, but one of the greatest gifts that God has given you besides the Holy Ghost is a good pastor. The Bible says he gave pastors. Anybody can get a preacher. People run from one preacher to another preacher just looking for somebody to scratch their flesh for them. But in this house, you have a pastor. And you need to be thankful every day that 
God has given you a man who is sensitive to his spirit. I know you're close to perfect. You're probably not completely perfect. Much closer than I'll ever hope to be, I'm sure. But so anointed, so precise in the movement of God's spirit. Amen. I watch him. He works through the altar, and I'm just amazed. Amen. This man loves this church. Amen. And I think I'm pretty, I feel pretty confident this church loves this man. Amen. His wife. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Brother Chris Cook, man, what an incredible worship leader. Amen. Amen. Brother Kevin, thumbs up all the way, man. Amen. Amen. My wife does send her love and her greetings. Um, some have asked how she's doing. And the uh, best we can say at this particular time is she's stable at this level. We are still awaiting God to do what only God can do. Um, she cannot be left alone without a caregiver. Amen. So every Sunday morning, caregiver pulls in and I pull out. She'll be there with my wife till I get back home. And having said that, some of you get all nervous. That's all right. God's still a healer. God's still a deliverer. My faith is not shaken in what God can do just because I've got a circumstance I haven't got all figured out yet. I do know that when it's all said and done, it's going to make good sense. Even when I can't make sense out of it right now. But I don't know about you, but I made up my mind that in spite of things that don't make sense, I'm going to stand on what the Word says. And the Word says He heals all our diseases. The Word says that He will make a way. Amen. The Word says He is a deliverer. Amen. And I'm going to stand on that. How many of you know it to be true? Amen. Amen. I want to take your attention to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 10. While we're going there, thank you for your kind response to the word this morning. Amen. I don't judge a service by the response that happens while I'm preaching. Amen. For me, I want to see the response that happens when I get done preaching. This morning, many filled this altar, many talking to God, many taking an inventory and reconsecrating some things in their life. And I thank you for that. Amen. I want to continue a little bit in that vein, but not completely. Amen. But Mark chapter 10, verse 46. says, And they came to Jericho. And as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard 
Everybody say heard. Faith cometh by. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort. Rise. He calleth thee. He casting away his garment rose, came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. I don't have a cool title for this message. But I'd just like to spend a few minutes learning some lessons from a blind guy. Amen. I don't know what that says, but that was this morning. Tonight, we're going to talk about lessons from a blind guy. Pastor, would you be so kind? tell you that I know that God's not finished in here. But if you promise that you're not finished, you may be seated. Amen. He lay there in the bed, the darkness of the room. You could hear the animals out in the Yard stirring around and beginning to move. and He knew that in a few minutes the sun was going to make its way over that Judean hillside. And that it would not be but just a little bit and that rooster would let loose its greeting of the morning. But for the moment, he stuck his toes down trying to find that cool spot there in the corner of the cot he fluffed the pillow and shoved it up under his head trying to get just one more dose of sleep one more nodding off one more just just resting a little bit longer before his day began and then sure enough in a few moments he heard the rooster crow and sitting up his feet landed precisely in the sandals that he had placed so carefully the night before. He slipped them on standing and backing his legs against the cot to locate himself in the room. He then turned 
and took six steps to his left, reaching out about the sixth step, his hand finding the table. There on the table, he finds the wash bowl and he begins to wash his face. And when he's finished, he reaches up and, and instinctively takes the towel off the hook. He wipes his face, hangs the towel back on the hook carefully, turns and now counts himself back six steps to the middle of the room and now another six steps across to the other side and his hand now reaching out he again finds another table and then feeling on that table he finds now his lump of cheese and he puts it in one pocket and then finds him a small loaf of bread and sticks it in the other pocket. He turns and walks the six steps back and three steps towards the front and his hand reaches out. He finds there his coat and he takes it and wraps it around him and his hand reaching down takes hold of the door and, and he pulls it open and steps out into the sunlight that is now greeting the side of his home. But for Bartimaeus, it's as dark on the outside as it was on the inside because Bartimaeus is blind. He pulls the door shut behind him. He carefully takes the steps down, counts his way out to, to the gate that is at the end of the walk. He reaches, opens that gate, steps through latches it behind him to make sure that the yard animals stay where they're supposed to be. And now he begins his journey down the street. His hand walking along the low stone wall, feeling every crack, every little crook, every little cranny. He feels it as he walks along. He knows everything and he knows when he's about to come to the next building, his hand going up reaching, knows that he's arrived at the window, pulls his hand down, puts his hand back up and keeps walking along. He comes down now to the alley and he, he, he has to leave the security of that building. He has to let go and now he has to take a few steps with nothing there. But once he gets across that street, his hand instinctively touches back to the wall and he walks down. He's familiar with everything that he feels. He knows the feel of the fence. He knows the feel of the rocks. He, he finds himself, now he can begin to hear up ahead of him the noise of the street, the busy street where he is headed. Now he gets to the corner of that building and he turns and begins to make his way up the street. He counts the number of steps past the first building, past the second building, and now he arrives at the place that he comes every day. He takes his jacket off and he leans over and he's about to spread it out, but about the time that he goes to spread his jacket out on the ground, he realizes somebody else is sitting there and he, he says, hey, hey, this is my place. I, I come here every day. You, you can't be here. You got to go find your own place. This is where I come to get what I need. He spreads his jacket out now around him in hopes that if somehow somebody passing by might toss a coin that 
he missed that would land in his coat and then at the end of the day he would gather it up and find those other coins that didn't make it into his cup. He sets himself down with his cup and he begins to now start another day of begging. He's learned how to function in his dysfunction. He's learned how to make the abnormal his normal. He's learned how to now get to a place where he can get along with what he has to get along with in order to do what he needs to do. For Bartimaeus, it's just another day. The coat and the cup for him are now making him be comfortable with what's wrong, with what doesn't work, with, with what's messed up. He's got a step-by-step -step routine now. He's figured it all out. Maybe you know something about it. This morning you got up. Well, you lay there in bed. Let's just start with this. You lay there in bed. You're knew that in a minute the alarm would be going off on your phone or your clock, whatever it is you have, and you knew you'd have to start another day. And but for the moment, you pulled that pillow down and tried to find that one place where you could doze off and get one last minute of sleep. You stuck your toe down in the corner of the bed trying to find that. Man, I feel a witness all over this house right now. Trying to find that cool spot that just, just getting in one more week of sleep before you had to get up. And then sure enough, the alarm went off and you lay there for a second and you thought, you know, if I eat cereal instead of bacon and eggs, I can get nine more minutes. And so you hit the snooze. How many believe God gave us a snooze button? I believe that's another gift from God. <laughs> and you hit the snooze button and you dozed off again. And for a few minutes, uh, there you were comfortable again. And then it went off and you thought, you know what? I think I can just get a little bit more in and you hit the snooze again. And then it finally goes off that third time and you thought if I don't get up and get there, Brother Cook's going to be looking at me wanting to know why I'm late for church. And so you got yourself up and you made your way into the bathroom. You cleaned yourself up and you got dressed and you ate and then you went out to your car and you drove down the same street you drive down, made the same turn, pulled into the same entrance on the parking lot that you pull in every week. You pulled yourself in across there, went to your same parking space, got out, walked in through the same door, all familiar, never thought about it, just do it like you do it every week. Made your way up to the same seat. If I took inventory right here, right now, and asked you how many of you have been in that, that seat where you are right now at least two other times. You find yourself where you made your way up to your seat. And just about the time you got there, you realized somebody was sitting in your seat. You said, hey, you got to move. This is my seat. 
Now, I know that would never happen here. I really thought that would never happen anywhere. I was preaching in Indianapolis, Indiana. And while I was preaching, I was sitting. I, I, I don't go on the platform until the pastor invites me up. So I was sitting right there. My son was traveling with me that weekend. And I, we were just sitting right there on that second pew and just waiting for service to start and waiting for everything. And while I'm sitting there, I feel this tap on my shoulder. And I stood up and I turned around to do the evangelist thing. I said, how you doing? So good to see you. This lady looks at me and says, my mother and I sit here. I said, oh, excuse me. I said, would you like us to move? Yes, we would appreciate that. You know what I did, Sister Cook? I moved because you don't start a revival off like that. (laughs) Now, I know that would never happen in this house. I understand that, but... They started the music and you knew when to stand up. And then they got it going and you knew when to raise your hands. You knew when to clap your hands. You knew how to respond to, to, to Brother Cook while he was leading the worship. You, you knew when to say amen. You, you knew when to jump and when to leap. And you knew how to run the aisles. And you, knew, and you went through all the things that you go through all the other times because you've learned how to function in the midst of your dysfunction. You've learned how to get along and to just go through the motions and the emotions of Pentecost. And the abnormal now is just the normal for you. And you've learned how to just function that way. But I want to tell somebody in this house that I don't believe God's intention is for us to just come in and go through the motions and go through the emotions and just have another good church service and go home unchanged, go home the same way we came in. It is not God's plan for us to get locked into such a routine that we can no longer even function. We just... We just have a, a way of doing things that we just learn how to respond the way we're told to respond. And our worship doesn't come out of love. Our worship doesn't come. It comes it comes out of pumping and priming and forcing and pushing. Can you imagine Sister Cook, you'll have to forgive me. But can you imagine what it would be like for Sister Cook to say, Brother Cook, come on, love me. Come on, Brother Cook, tell me how good I am. Come on, Brother Cook, tell me that I'm beautiful. Tell me, Brother Cook, that I'm what. Tell me, Brother Cook, how much you love me. Tell me, Brother Cook, what a great uh, guy, a woman I am. Tell me, Brother Cook. How many think there might be a problem with that marriage? But yet we come to church and the worship leader says, come on, tell him how much you love him. Come on, praise him. Come on, give him glory. Come on, give God it. And we learn how to function in all of this with just a, a routine. And our heart's not in it and our love is not in it, but... I want to tell somebody that God expects something more than that while we're in this house. 
Now, I want to leave Bartimaeus sitting over there on the curb for just a minute, if you'll allow me. And I want to just go up the street to where Jesus is. Now, if you believe, like I believe, that Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead bodily, then you have to understand that all there is to know about God was revealed in Christ Jesus. And if he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily, then he had to know that Bartimaeus was sitting right down there. And that's exciting because I like the fact that God knows where I am. But when I'm reading the story, I notice something that bothers me a little bit. Because when I read the story, what I notice is that Jesus was willing to walk right by Bartimaeus. Now that's not fun preaching, but it's right preaching. Jesus was willing. If Bartimaeus was willing to sit there and let him pass by, Jesus was willing to pass by. Somebody says, well, I don't know if that's really true, Brother Whitman. I don't know if God would really do that. The Bible says that the disciples were out in the middle of the lake rowing against a contrary wind. And while they're fighting to get across the lake and they're exhausting every effort they've got, the Bible says Jesus comes down and he begins to walk across the water. Now that tells me that whatever it is that you're dealing with is still under his feet. Now he begins to walk across the water. And you look in your book because the Bible says that he would have passed them by. In other words, in my weird little imagination, what I see is Jesus coming down, hits the water, just keeps right on walking like he did on the sand. He gets out and says, hey guys, how's it going? Got a little trouble there? Okay, well, nice seeing you. But somebody in the boat said, wait a minute. Somebody in the boat said, if it's not a problem for you, then I need you to make it not a problem for me. If you can get through it, I need you to get me through it. Somebody in the boat said, wait a minute, I'm not satisfied for you to just keep right on walking by and leave me in the middle of my problem. Somebody in this house needs to get an attitude that says, wait a minute, God, I feel you moving through this place. I know what you're doing, and I'm not satisfied just to go through the motions and go through the emotions and just have a Pentecostal church service. But God, I I need you to stop where I am. Now, I told you this morning, I grew up old Pentecost, old church. Old church, we used to sing a song. Said, pass me not, oh gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. 
In other words, if my sister needs a touch, God, I want you to touch her. If my brother needs healing, God, I want you to heal his body. God, if my brother's going through some situations and needs deliverance, I want you to deliver him. God, I want you to meet everybody else's needs. See, sometimes, and I mentioned it this morning, sometimes we are content to watch somebody else get a blessing, watch somebody else get a touch, and we go home talking about what a great service it was because so-and-so got something, and brother so-and-so got this, and sister so-and-so got that, and we'll go home all excited about what God did for everybody else. And we'll continue to function in our dysfunction. We'll continue to just go through the routines, the coat, and the cup. But that song said, while you're touching everybody else, while you're healing my sister, while you're touching my brother's mind, while you're getting my friend God free from the things that he's addicted to, while on others thou art caught, I got one simple request. While you're healing them, don't pass me by. While you're delivering her, don't pass me by. While you're touching brother so, don't pass me by. God, whatever it is you're doing, do it for them. But in the middle of all of that, I got one simple request. Do not pass me by. And so Jesus is going by. And this is the attitude of Bartimaeus' heart. Because the Bible said when he heard it was Jesus, he began to cry out, A refined church. We don't act like that. You need to just settle down. There's a there's a right time and a right place and a right way. God is a God of order. God, God knows God has a plan, and you need to wait till the right time and the right place, and you need to settle down and don't make a scene and don't don't get all bent out of shape like that. You know? But you see, here's the problem. They told Bartimaeus, hold your peace. But Bartimaeus didn't have a peace to hold. He didn't have anything going on. And he realized that Jesus is passing by. And something said, hey, you got what I need. I got to get it from you. And he cried out, Jesus. Somebody's always worried, oh, what if somebody acts up? Look, I just told you, you've got a great pastor. If anybody gets out of line, I'm pretty sure he knows how to handle it. I'm less worried about somebody getting out of line than I am about somebody just sitting and doing nothing. The right time to cry out to Jesus 
is the moment that you are aware he's in the building. The moment that you realize, it doesn't matter if it's in the altar service. It doesn't matter if it's in the prayer service. It might be right in the middle of the worship. It could be in the, it could be in the offering. I've got a friend that got the Holy Ghost laying up under a 69 Buick in a shade tree over in East Prairie, Missouri, laying there. And while he was laying up under the, uh, the, the Buick working, all of a sudden he began to feel something move on him. And he said, God, I want this Holy Ghost. And laying on his back under a Buick in a shade tree in his backyard, God filled him with the Holy Ghost. I wonder how many miracles we've missed because we wanted to do it at the right time in the appropriate way. So they begin to try to hush him up. Jesus is not right here for you right now. He's, he's, just, he's here for everybody else. And now, something goes off inside the heart of Bartimaeus. He said, "Uh uh-uh. He said, no, 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 no. And the Bible said he began to cry the more aloud. In other words, he said, you think that was bad? Watch this. Reminds me of David. Got home and Micah's looking at him, his wife, and says, my goodness, How you did out there was embarrassing. He said, baby, you think that was bad? You ought to see what I'm about to do next. Somebody in this house needs to get a determination in your spirit. I refuse to be shut down. I refuse to be backed up. God, I've got to have a touch. God, I need something changed in my life. God, I need a move of your spirit. I need something in my family. I need something in my body, God. I need healing. I need deliverance, God. I need peace in my mind. God, I need this fear moved out of my life. In the minute that you become aware that he's in the building, you need to go to crying out, Jesus, have mercy on me. God, I need your touch. I need your spirit, God. The Bible says now that he cried out even louder. And the Bible says that Jesus stood still. There is a cry that will stop Jesus right in his tracks. There is something that will come out. Let me explain this. You, you mamas and some of your daddies will understand this a little better. But your kids will be back there in the back room hollering and Screaming, and you'd be driving down the street, and they're in the back seat, and they're, Mom, he touched me. Mom, she's on my side. Mom, and they'll go on, and you'll just keep right on driving. They'll be hollering in that back room. You'll just keep right on going. You don't even pay attention. You, you'll drown that out. But then there is a scream. 
dishes in the dishpan. You leave the lawnmower running in the yard, and you go to find out what's going on. Because there is a there is a cry that is different than all the other cries. A cry that you realize somebody needs me. Somebody's wanting to get a hold of me. Somebody's serious right now. And the Bible said that when Lazarus began to cry, Jesus stood still. Now, I want to help you introverts for just a minute. Because it's not based on the volume. Now, that doesn't give us permission not to worship. But the Bible says there was a little lady who had an issue of blood. And she said within herself, if I can just touch him, the hem of his garment, I know I'll be made whole. Now here she is. She's not making a scene. She's not making a lot of noise. But she's working her way in through the crowd. She's pushing herself through. And the Bible says that Jesus says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, well, everybody touched you. And he's, no, 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 I didn't ask who bumped into me. Somebody needed me. Somebody wanted something from me enough that they weren't showing up trying to get a selfie with Jesus to post on their Facebook page. I wonder if we don't do that sometimes at church. Just get a, we, we just show up to get a selfie with Jesus and post it on our Facebook page and talk about, man, church was off the chain. Woo, it was some kind of... Come on. Come on. Well, I lost half of us here. But that woman had a cry. Sister Cook, inside of her, it wasn't out loud, but it was so loud within her on the inside. While she might not be able to voice it out loud, something on the inside of her was so desperately crying out that in the middle of a crowd, when Jesus couldn't have heard her for nothing else, there was a cry inside of her so loud that she stopped Jesus. So Jesus now stops and he turns and he says, bring him to me. Now, y'all have been pretty good right now, but I'm going to lose some of you right here. Because up till now, Bartimaeus has been over here on the curbside. Up to right now, Bartimaeus has been sitting in his pew that he sits in every week. Up to right now, Bartimaeus is safe. See, when you're over here, camels don't step on you. Carts don't run over you. People don't trample on you here. This is safe over here. You're, you're out of the flow of things. But now Jesus looks at Bartimaeus and he says... 
bring him to me. And Bartimaeus now has to get up out of his comfort zone. I didn't get you this morning. I'm coming back tonight. Bartimaeus has got to get up out of the safe place. And the next thing you know, Jesus is bringing him off of the curb and out into the middle of the street. This is dangerous. This is scary. But can I tell somebody in this house, the answer to your prayer is not in your comfort zone. The answer to your prayer is not in the safety of the pew that you stood in. We have church, we, we have an altar call, and we get people who say, well, God knows where I am, and I don't know anybody in here. I'm not picking on anybody here. And they'll be sitting about halfway back, and they'll say, God knows where I am. If he wants me, he'll find me here. God knows exactly where you are, but he also knows you're not serious enough to get out of your comfort zone. And if you're not serious enough to get out of your comfort zone, there's not much he can do for you. Bring him out to the middle of the street. And now he stands here in the middle of the street. And Jesus asks what I think is one of the silliest questions in the Bible. He says, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, here's Bartimaeus standing in the middle of the street. What do you want me to do for you? I want a new pony, please. I mean, come on, Jesus. What do you think I want? But Brother Cook, I've been around the block a couple of times, and what I have learned is not everybody wants what they need. I was preaching for Brother McDonald in Nebraska. I shouldn't have said that part. But there was a gentleman... This isn't recorded, is it? <laughs> there was a gentleman that come up front, had his arm and his leg like this. And so he said, I need you to pray for my leg. And I said, Brother, God's healing. I'm going to pray for your leg and your arm. He he looked at me, and as sure as I'm standing here, he said, don't pray for my arm. If it gets healed, I'll lose my check. At least he was honest enough about it that he, he knew of God, that God could heal him. But what I've learned is not everybody wants what they need. He could have said, I'd like enough money so I don't have to beg anymore. He could have asked, I want to be guaranteed that every time I sit down here, I'm going to make $350 a day. He could have asked a lot of things. But when Jesus asked him, what do you want? He said, Lord... That I might receive my sight. In other words, I want the thing that I need most. 
I don't know what it is you're dealing with, what it is you're facing, what it is that's going on with you right now, but I want to tell somebody in this house that God is asking a very simple question, but you've got to make up your mind. I know what I want. I know what I need. God, I need you to touch me. God, I need you to straighten this situation out. There's one other thing that I notice. Because I'm a firm believer that everything that is written in that book is there for a reason. I don't believe God just needed to fill space and so he made up a sentence and stuck it in there. And I notice a line that said that he cast his coat behind him. And I got to think about that. I'm like, why does that matter? Why, why does the Bible take a minute to say that he cast his coat behind him? But then all of a sudden it dawned on me that his coat was his identity. His coat was how everybody knew him. That was a beggar's coat he was wearing. When he was standing there with that coat and it was stretched out on the ground, everybody knew you throw your coin in the coat. Everybody knew that you just get it over there. Everybody recognized him when he's going down the street. Oh, that's the beggar. That's the blind guy. But when he got up to go to Jesus, now watch this, the musicians are coming. When he got up to go to Jesus, church, the Bible said that he cast his coat behind him because there was something inside of him that said hey I'm going to Jesus and I might have been a beggar when I sat down here but I'm not going to be a beggar anymore I might have been a sick man when I came in but I'm not going to be a sick man when I I might have been an addict when I walked through the doors but I'm putting that behind me I don't need my old identity I know you know me as the guy that was so messed up but that's who I used to be This evening, we are faced with a decision. And that decision is, do I want what I need? Or do I value my comfort more? Am I willing to get up out of my comfort zone? And the Bible said he went to Jesus. Hear me. We're going to pray for the sick tonight. And somebody's going to get healed. If you need the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I'm telling you, you can be filled with the Spirit before you walk out of this building. I know it's almost 8 o'clock. But I'm just here to tell somebody, if you get out of your comfort zone just long enough to cry out to Jesus, I need your touch. I need your healing. I need deliverance. I need a miracle. I want to tell somebody in this house. You'll go home. That's who I used to be. That's, that's, that's my old man. That's my old nature. 
Now watch this. The Bible said that when he got up, he got up to go to Jesus. Sometimes we come to the front because we're going to the preacher. Sometimes we come to the front because the preacher asks. But I want to tell you, as you stand across this room right now, there's got to be somebody in this house that will make up their mind right here and right now. I'm going to Jesus. I need a touch from him. I need a healing in my body. I need deliverance in my soul. And if you get here to Jesus, I want to tell you something. The very thing that tried to keep you silenced, the depression that tried to keep you in your pew, the anxiety that tried to press you back and keep you out, will begin to break its hold. It'll lose its grip. Something changes in the house when you go to Jesus. Hear this preacher. All I can do is tell you, but somebody's got to make up your mind. Somebody's got to just come on. Hallelujah. Now watch this. Don't come up here and wait for me to tell you what to do because you're not coming to the preacher. You're coming to Jesus. If you'll get yourself up here and say, God, I need a touch. There may be somebody lay hands on you and pray for you, but I got news for you. God's able to touch you no matter what. Come on, church. I gotta believe there's more than one person that needs something from God in this house. I gotta.